You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. If you are a visitor uh, with us, looks like we have some visitors with us today. Very glad that you're here. Thank you so much for choosing to worship uh, with us. If you have not already done so and you're a visitor with us, we would love for you to go to our website at midtowntunotch.com where you'll find our uh, connect card that you can just use to fill out. We would love to be able to follow up with you, get to know you a little better. And if you're interested in learning anything about our church or getting more connected with us, we'd be able to do that if you fill out that connect card for us uh, as well. So if you would be willing to do so, we we would love for you to do that. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving here as a pastor of, of Midtown Tunach. And once again, to all of our guests joining us in person and for those joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We're glad to have you with us. We're continuing on. I believe this is week three in our series on the book of Philippians. And last week, the call from the sermon was that we would so value Christ, that we would find so much joy in him, that we would have the strength that we need to endure whatever difficulties or challenges come our way as we seek to walk in his footsteps. I'll be honest with you, even as I was preaching that sermon, something about it felt a little bit incomplete. So I'm very excited about this sermon. This one is almost a part two of last week's sermon, where last week I talked about the fact that we need to find our joy in Christ. This week I'll specifically focus on some blessings that we have in Christ that allow us to endure whatever comes our way as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. In my experience, oftentimes, As Christians, we tend to focus more on what we have to give up, what we have to sacrifice, what we have to let go of as we seek to follow Christ. Sometimes we focus more on that than what we receive, than the blessings that we receive from him that actually empower us and give us the strength that we need to be able to endure and sacrifice. There's a a pastor, uh, for for those of you who remember, he was actually a pastor at Columbia Christian Fellowship, the church that we used to lease the building from. His name was Bob Williams. One of the things that he and I had to email back and forth as we were figuring out, you know, how we're going to partner in the relationship, especially early on when we were sharing the building with them. And he had this little phrase he would often put at the bottom of his emails that I found to be so profound. Bob said, give him all he asks, take all he offers. He said, give him all he asks, take all he offers. Today, again, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. I want to tell you a secret. If you don't realize, if you don't have your mind keenly aware of what he offers us, you're not going to be able to sacrifice and give him what he asks. Nobody gives away $10 to get $5 back, right? If you do, if that's how you navigate the economy, we need to have some conversations, right? We need to develop a deeper friendship with one another. We sacrifice when we find it to be worth it. We sacrifice when we find what we are receiving as a result of the sacrifice to be greater than what we are losing, than what we are giving away as we make these sacrifices. Today, I want to focus very specifically on three blessings that we have in Christ that I believe as we Remember, as we recall to our minds that we have in the depths of our heart and in the forefront of our minds will empower us 
to be willing to endure and sacrifice as he calls us to. I'm going to give you my points up front, which I normally don't do. Point number one, Jesus is true life. Point number two, Jesus gives new purpose in life. And point number three, you're going to like this, and I'll explain it when we get to it. Jesus is the only alchemist. Jesus is the only alchemist. The first point there is Jesus is true life. Let's look at the words of scripture as we're in chapter one. We'll look at verse 20 and 21. Jesus is true life. The apostle writes, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The apostle is making the point that all of who Christ is and all that Christ is about is what is truly life. If you frequent social media, you might have heard people fill, fill in this blank before. They would say blank is life, right? Maybe they'll, they'll have a, a picture of someone that, that, that they are close to, or maybe they'll have something that they enjoy to eat. But we say blank is life. What the apostle Paul is saying here is that Christ is life. When he says to live is Christ, he's in Christ is to, to know him and all that he is and, and all that he does is to actually have life. Paul's desire is that no matter what happens to him, they're in that prison or outside of the prison, that Christ will be honored in his body. That word honored there means to make great or to declare great. It means to magnify. So when Christ is life to you, your life will, will, will reveal that. It will magnify him. It will help others to see how great he truly is. If he is truly life to you, then your life will scream that he is what you value and treasure more than anything else. So here's the question for us. What does your life magnify? Those who know you best, those who are around you the most, what would they say your life magnifies the most? What, what does your life scream? Hey, this is where life is truly found. I'm not talking about what you say. I'm talking about the way that we live. As Christians, obviously, our aim is to have our hearts and our minds and our lives echo the same sentiment that the Apostle Paul has here when he says to live is Christ. But if we're honest, there are, a lot, there are a lot of other things that we think are truly life. Everyone who walked in this room today, everyone watching us online has some amount of a faulty view of what life truly is, of where life is truly found. That's every single one of us. Many of us are familiar enough with the Bible to say, yeah, life is all about Christ. But functionally, I think sometimes we believe that to live is actually to climb the corporate or social ladder. To live is to have a healthy, functional family. To live is to get married. To live is to be able to, to, to fully express and act on our sexual desires. To live is having my children be successful and accomplished. To live is having an acceptable standard of living. I mean, I ain't got to have a million dollars or nothing, but if I just had this, I'd be good. To live is having comfort. We believe to live is having the freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it. We believe to live is to have the security that comes with possessing a lot of money or a lot of resources. We believe to live is, you can fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. There's a woman named Lisa Young. She lived in Houston. One day she went to cash her check at the bank that she normally goes to cash her check. She did so, she got cash for it. She went to the credit union that she usually goes to to deposit that money into her account. 
A little bit after she deposited the money, she got a phone call from the credit union and they told her that some of the money that she had deposited was counterfeit. That it wasn't actually real money. It looked like real money. When she first looked at it, she probably didn't look at it very closely, but it ended up, they, they, even though she got that money from the bank where she cashed her check, she was held responsible for it. She went on to say that that was going to, that the $100 bill that was counterfeit was going to buy a week's grocery for her and her family, but she was held responsible. See, she didn't look very closely at what it was, and thus she had received something that was meant to trick her and cause her to think that it was going to benefit her the way that she thought it would. Whatever we put in when we fill in the blank for what life truly is to us, it's always counterfeit. It's never what we actually think it is. And really, when you look closely enough at it, you realize this is not exactly what I thought it was, and it will cause harm to us. Counterfeit money can get passed along from person to person, all of us thinking that it's actually real until someone takes a closer look and says, hey, this actually isn't what we thought it was. It seems to deliver, but ultimately it's not what it seems to be. Don't fall for it. Our culture is telling you that life is found in many things, in many different places, but it's all counterfeit in the end. So for you, if you believe life is found in having a lot of money or or, a better standard of living or a high level of success or achievement in life for you, you'll never have enough. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough success. You'll never achieve enough. and You'll always feel like you have to have more because it's counterfeit. Or for you, if you think you can find life in having a healthy and functional family or marriage or children that are in your home, then you'll find that every single family, every single marriage has an an amount of dysfunction in it. And it will not actually satisfy you and give you the life that you thought that you would find in it. Not to say you can't enjoy it. Not to say that there aren't blessings that come with it. But life is not the ultimate source of life is not found there and it will disappoint you. No matter what you fill in the blank with, it'll never be good enough, real enough, true enough, enough, be fulfilling enough. It'll never be strong enough. It'll never be trustworthy enough. It will never be enough. For, for to live is Christ, the apostle writes. He is infinite in all that he is. His joy, his peace, his righteousness, his beauty, his glory. They're all infinite. They're all eternal. There's always more. He is always enough. He never runs out He alone is enough. He is a never-ending well of living water. Satisfy your soul in his goodness. Because as the apostle writes, to live is Christ. If you want to be able to endure whatever comes your way as you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, remember that true life is found in Christ. And if you are in him, if you are in Christ, then true life is with you no matter what you have to endure then true life is with you. you. You have access to true life, true meaning in life because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Point number one is Jesus is true life. Point number two, Jesus gives new purpose in life. Jesus gives new purpose in life. There was a man I was reading his article recently. His name is Steve Taylor. He has his PhD in psychology He's a senior lecturer, lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University in the United Kingdom. He's written several books. He's got books published in 20 different languages. He has published many journals. This is what he has to say about purpose. He says the need for purpose is one, excuse me, is one of the defining characteristics of human beings. Human beings crave purpose and suffer serious psychological difficulties when we don't have it. 
Purpose is a fundamental component of a fulfilling life. He went on to say that not having a sense of purpose makes us vulnerable to boredom, anxiety, and depression. There was a man named Viktor Frankl. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. He was held in a concentration camp in the Second World, World War. He wrote a book called A Man's Search for Meaning. In that book, he talks about what he noticed as far as a trend with the people who survived the concentration camps and those who did not. And he said, generally speaking, ultimately, those who had a sense of purpose in life, something that they were aiming for, something that they were looking forward to being able to do afterwards, generally speaking, found more strength to survive even the most difficult of circumstances in those concentration camps. He said it gave us the strength to continue on. People in our world are always asking, why are we here? Why am I here? Your soul is able to thrive more and more when you have purpose in your life. And purpose is one of the greatest gifts that Christ gives us. One of the greatest gifts that we have in him. I'll read Philippians chapter one. I'll go from verse 21 through 25. I want you to be examining how much purpose the apostle Paul has in his life as he's wrestling with, he might be losing his life any day now. First, starting at verse 21. For to, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Talking about the Philippians who he's been doing ministry to and who he hopes to see again. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. We said this last week. This brother is in prison. He knows the death penalty is on the table for him. Like I said last week, he's got a lot of time on his hands when he's been doing some thinking. So it's like he's having this dialogue with himself. He's like, I don't know what they're going to do to me here. And he's like, be honest with you, I don't even know which one I want them to do with me here. That's what he says. He's like, I'm hard pressed between the two. I'd love to go be with Jesus. That would be far better but at the same time, I know if I continue on in ministry here, that would mean fruitful labor for you. I'll be able to continue to serve you. He's like, there's a part of me that really wants to be done with all this suffering and going and be with Christ on the other side. But there's also a part of me that wants to stay here because I know that my work in ministry will be, will be fruitful, which will be better for you. Talking to the Philippian church. He says, so I'm going to go with what is stay here for the progress and joy and the faith of, of the Philippian church for 400, Alex. Now, I find it very helpful and powerful to notice that what he didn't say is he didn't say it would be good to go and be with Jesus, but I haven't been able to experience this thing yet, so I'd rather stay. What he didn't say is it'd be better to go and be with Jesus, but I hadn't gotten married yet, so I'd rather stay here and be able to experience that. What he didn't say is, I know it would be better to go on and be with Jesus, but there's a lot of things that I just really wish that I could do in this life for myself, for my own experiences that I would enjoy. That's not what he says. He says, but to continue on in this life would mean fruitful ministry for me. It would benefit you. This man's life was full of purpose. He wanted to continue on because he found a purpose so worth giving his life to that he says, I, I think I would choose to stay a little bit longer to continue to enjoy this purpose that I have on this side, even before I go and be with my Lord, my King, my Savior. His reason for wanting to live wasn't so he could experience more things for himself, but rather so that he could see others have more faith and more hope and more joy in Christ. 
He didn't want to stay for his own pleasure. He wanted to stay because of a new purpose that he had found in Christ. Christ is destroying and undoing the curse of sin for all who would trust in him. He's freeing the lost from the guilt of their sin. He's freeing those captured by the kingdom of darkness from the enslaving power of sin. He's freeing the hurting and the broken from all suffering. which He entered the world and experienced suffering on our behalf that he might free us from it. He's reconciling and restoring sinful, rebellious people back to right relationship with God. And the apostle's life is infused with eternal purpose. Paul lives to be with his God and join him in his mission of expanding the kingdom of God that is going to ultimately set everything right on the earth. There is no one, there is no thing, no philosophy, no other religion or faith that offers a better and truer and richer purpose for your life than this, than being used by God to build the kingdom of God that he's going to use to set everything right in the earth. There is no greater purpose to give your life to. There is no greater purpose that you can find. I remember when I was at University of South Carolina, was leading the campus ministry there. And I believe it was a Thursday, it might have been a Friday, but I believe it was a Thursday. And this person was talking about how much they were looking forward to the weekend. And they, and they made the statement, yeah, I mean, I, I live for the weekend. I live for the weekend. If you went to USC, I don't know how true this is at other colleges, but Thursday night is when the weekend starts at USC. That's when the weekend starts. So I believe it was on a Thursday, and it was like, I live for the weekend. I remember hearing them say that, and I remember thinking, that's all you got? You're going to go and party with some friends and get away from the work that you have? That's what you, that's all you got? I felt sad for this person. I was like, you have no clue what the type of purpose that I have in my life that I give my life to. I wish you knew the type of purpose for anyone who doesn't know Christ. I wish you knew the type of purpose that you can have in your life with Christ, the type of meaning, the type of impact that you can have with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. I wish you knew. I wish, I wish you knew for those who aren't in Christ. And if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, I know we don't do that in church, but if I'm really honest, sometimes in conversations with believers, I'm like, I wish you knew the type of purpose that you have in your life because you're in Christ. I wish you knew. It's like, you, I, I feel like you can't fathom the, the, the beauty of the purpose that we have in building the kingdom of God, that we can have impact, that God would use us to do work that lasts forever in people's lives. And if I'm extremely honest, oh, right, if I'm extremely honest and I take an honest assessment of my own life, I have to look at my own life and ask the same question. Don't you know the type of purpose that you have in Christ? Don't you know that God wants to use you to make an eternal impact on this world and the lives of people that you know and love? I've used this quote before from an artist named KB. I'm going to use it again because I find it to be just so loaded with truth, so beneficial. He says, yeah, never finna change. Take it to the grave, I be honest. We see the dead raised here another day at the office. He's saying we get to experience the miracle of God saving people from eternal death and giving them eternal life. That's just how we live. He's saying this is just what we do. 
We see God at work in people's lives. You know how many people in, in our family of churches, we've seen so many people baptized, so many people whose lives have been changed. You know how many people have never experienced that type of meaning and purpose in their lives and in their work. It's an extreme blessing to have so much purpose in our lives in Christ. We get to see people being set free from sin patterns that were passed down from generation to generation. Some of you are in here right now and the generational sin is ending with you right now because of what Jesus is doing in your life. If that were all that it was, that would be worth giving your life to. To partner with the body of Christ, to partner with the people of God, to see him save and transform people. To see him bring healing to people who have been broken and could not find healing anywhere else other than in the name of Jesus Christ. That is worth giving your life to. That is worth waking up and praying, God, how might you use me today? Holy Spirit, how do you want to work through me today? Help me be sensitive to what you want me to say, to communicate to others, to encourage others with your truth and with your word. We have so much beautiful purpose if we are in Christ. And when we embrace all that Christ is and follow him, our lives are so meaningful with so much glorious, eternal purpose. And the the apostle is so given to this mission, this purpose that he finds in Christ. He says this in, in chapter two, verse 17. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Ministry oftentimes is extremely difficult. Paul knew suffering extremely well, extremely well. There was a way of of sacrificing an offering to God where you would go to the altar and oftentimes they use wine and they would just pour out this drink offering on the altar. He says, if that's what my life looks like as I do ministry, a glass that is being poured out continually as I sacrifice myself for you, for your sake, for your faith, for your joy in the Lord, I will rejoice in that. He said, I will rejoice that God will give me a life that allows me to do that. He so embraced the purpose that we have in Christ, this new glorious purpose. The first point is Jesus is true life. The second one is Jesus gives new purpose in life. The third is Jesus is the only alchemist. Let's read verse 18 and 19. The apostle writes, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, the term that the apostle uses that is translated deliverance here is the same term that is often translated salvation. He's saying that this trial that he's in, this difficult, this suffering will turn out for his salvation, for his deliverance. It's the most common word. This is the word that's most commonly translated as salvation in the New Testament. Now, commentaries and commentators and theologians disagree about what the specific deliverance is that he's talking about. Some say he's talking about being delivered from prison. That he knows that because they're praying, because of working the Holy Spirit, that God's going to deliver him from prison so he can continue on doing this ministry. That's what some say. Others say he's talking about a different type of salvation that ultimately God will get him out of this prison, even if it's in the next life that he will ultimately be delivered. They go back and forth. And some say that the apostle may have intentionally stated it vaguely to leave room for whatever type of salvation that God wanted to provide for him. In the, in the late 1600s, there was a man named Matthew Henry. He wrote a commentary. He wrote a commentary on the whole Bible And when commenting on Paul's words in chapter one, Matthew Henry says, Paul is claiming that God is the only alchemist. 
says, Paul is claiming that God is the only alchemist. See, back in the Middle Ages, alchemists were people who were trying to figure out a way to turn lead into gold. Lead to them was just something that, that was useless, didn't have any purpose for it, but they could find it rather easily. And alchemists were trying to figure out, how can I turn this useless thing into something great, into something beautiful? None of the so-called alchemists were successful. They weren't able to turn lead into gold. If you're dependent on that, I'm sorry. It didn't work out. Matthew Henry looks to Paul's letters and says that God does, he's saying that God does all the time what these alchemists were trying to do. He's able to take things that seem as if they are no good to anyone and turn them into gold. And that is exactly what Paul is saying that Jesus is going to do with his situation, no matter what happens. He's going to be delivered in one way or another. As a Christian, if you're going to endure the difficulties and the sacrifices that come along with following Jesus, you need to know with confidence that he is in the business of turning lead to gold. If you're going to endure the difficulties, the challenges, the pains, you need to know that your God is in the business of doing this, that this is who he is. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis. This man is sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him. He ended up a slave and then he, he got out. He ended up back in prison for being falsely accused for something that he didn't even do. God ended up promoting him to the second highest position in all of Egypt. Egypt was an empire at this point. He ends up elevating him to the second highest position. And then God uses him in that position to save all of Egypt and also save his family that sold him into slavery in the first place because God is in the business of turning lead to gold. He is the only alchemist. You might remember Peter in, in the New Testament. You know, Peter was the one who was always quick to run his mouth, was always saying things that he shouldn't have said. And then that seemed to come to a head the night that Jesus was taken away to be crucified. Jesus had told him, he told him, you're going to deny me three times. Essentially, he's saying three times before the sun comes up. It's the rooster crows when the sun comes up. And he did this. He was ashamed to even state that he was with Jesus, to say that he knew Jesus. He was, Jesus had done so much for him. And he's like, I don't even know this man. Stop saying that I was ever with him. And then after Jesus rises from the dead. He goes to Peter and reinstates him into his position. Peter ends up being one of the great leaders of the church. And the day that many theologians call the birth of the church, when the Holy Spirit came to them, and they were speaking the good news of Jesus in different tongues. And then Peter stands up and, de and delivers a sermon and thousands of people get saved. The one who said, I don't know him. I was never with him. I don't have anything to do with him. God ends up transforming him into one who was bold enough to proclaim to masses of people that they killed Jesus, but he rose from the dead. And now he is Lord and Savior because God can turn lead into gold. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, even Pilate himself, all because of their sin, it led to the execution of Jesus, the murder of Jesus on the cross. God was able even to use the sin that was deep in their hearts. Use, use the sin that they were carrying around with them to accomplish salvation of all of his creation, to accomplish the renewal of all things. He was using their sin to save the world from sin. He used their oppressive work to free his people from oppression from forever, especially the oppression of sin. He used their injustice to accomplish ultimate justice. He can turn lead into gold. He used the cross an instrument of death to give us new life. He used an innocent man's condemnation to grant us forgiveness. He used an unjust murder to justify us. He used a malicious, hateful act to reveal to us his kindness and his grace. And he even used a tomb. He used a tomb, a place designed to be full of death, 
Because when the women went to visit the tomb early Sunday morning, the tomb was actually empty because our God was full of life. He used the house of death to give us newness of life. Example after example throughout the scriptures that he turns lead into gold. He is the only alchemist. He can turn the worst, most difficult, most painful things into the best and most beautiful and most glorious things. Man, when during my wife's first pregnancy, uh, we started off with twins because we're overachievers. <laughs> during her first pregnancy, it was a difficult one. It was a difficult one. I remember there were so many complications during the uh, pregnancy. I actually just had a conversation with my wife last week, come to think about it, about how, like, I learned and began to wrestle with the idea that I actually don't have control over how, um, how good my children are doing or how healthy they are during that first pregnancy. Because there were so many times, you know, when they're doing the ultrasounds or certain things that they look for to make sure the child was healthy and one of our children just was not displaying those signs. Oftentimes there was hospitalization after hospital, hospitalization. She was put on, on bed rest for an extended period of time. The pregnancy, the, lit, the labor, the delivery, all of it was very difficult for my wife. Many postpartum complications that she dealt with that were extremely hard and difficult for her, for our family. And I remember just wanting to comfort her. I remember going to her and being like, hey, I know you wanted to have more children after this, but if you don't want to go through that again, like I, like I get it. I get it. I understand that was extremely difficult for you. I just want you to feel free to not feel any pressure from me. And she looked at me with a, an expression that was a combination of two things. One, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> two, why would you even say something like that? And I was like, I didn't want you to feel like you had to go through it again. That was extremely difficult for me just to watch you have to go through it. And she was like, the joy that I got get from our children, I'd 100% do it again. She said, I would 100% do it again. If you don't believe me, look at my Facebook and all the pictures that I have. Won't he do it? She was like, to have more children to love and enjoy, of course I'd go through that again. The pain that led, the pain had led to something that she deeply loved and enjoyed. And I was just in awe. I, could, I couldn't believe, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. But that's the thing about birth pain. Birthing pain is different from other pain. Birth pain is a pain that leads to joy. It's eclipsed by a joy that's greater than the pain. And when it's birth pain, oftentimes the pain heightens the joy on the other side of it. I think that's incredibly, an incredibly encouraging thought for all who are in Christ, especially when we look at what the apostle writes in Romans chapter 8. We'll start at verse 18, then we'll jump down to verse 22. He writes this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. This is coming from a man who suffered tremendously, tremendously. Something from a man who was abandoned by some of his, his closest brothers in the faith. This is coming from a man who has sacrificed and lost so many different things, as we'll get to later in this series. He, he had lost so many different things as he chose to, to follow Christ and everything that Christ had for him. This is a man who suffered so much trauma for the name of Christ. He was beaten and left for dead. He was looked in the eyes by people who hated him and would do anything to try to kill him. And God gave him life time and time again. And he didn't die and he continued on. And he's, he can look back on all those things and he's like, you know what I know to be true? That the glory, that the pain that I have experienced in this life won't compare to the glory and the joy that we have on the other side. So he continues on, he continues to press, he continues to preach, and he continues to lead. 
because he knows that the joy he knows that the joy will be greater on the other side that no matter how bad it gets on this side the joy on the other side will be greater than the pain that we're experiencing right now jump down to verse 22 it reads for we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of what in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about when Christ comes back and makes everything right and we are glorified in him. He's saying that the pain that we feel in this life, every, I'm talking every single bit of it, the grief, the despair, the misery, the loneliness, the anxiety, the depression, the abandonment, the wounds we have oftentimes from our family members, the sickness, the hospital visits, the funerals where we use our loved ones. He's saying it's all birth pain. He's saying it's all birth pain. It will all be eclipsed by joy. Our God is going to turn that land into gold and it's going to be so amazing that the pain that you endured won't even be worthy to be compared with the joy and the glory that we will experience when he comes back and we go on to be with him. He's saying if you're in Christ, all pain is birth pain. He's saying if you're in Christ, all pain will be eclipsed by joy as we experience his glory forever. He's saying it's all going to be turned to gold. In verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, the apostle doesn't explicitly say what type of deliverance or salvation he's going to receive. I said earlier, he's being a little bit vague and maybe that's intentionally so. Perhaps he's not trying to elevate one type of salvation over the other. Perhaps he's not trying to say, hey, don't put your hope in salvation just in this life because he knows that no matter what happens, God's going to save him nonetheless. He knows that this lead of the suffering in his life is going to be turned to gold. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Lois Evans. She is the wife, or she recently passed away, uh, the wife of Dr. Tony Evans, who was a senior pastor of a mega church in Dallas, Texas called Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. She passed away, I believe it was last year, due to a battle with cancer. One of her sons was sharing at her funeral about how he had prayed to God that she would be healed. How he had prayed to God that she would be able to live and continue to be with their family. He had prayed to God that they'd be able to continue to take good care of her. And as he was sharing, he was talking to God and how he had wanted those things for his mom and how he was hurt and he was disappointed because she had died from cancer. He said God began to show him that he didn't understand the victory that Christians truly have in him. I just want to read you a quote from him. And this is him sharing what God showed him during that time. He said, there was always only two answers to your prayers. He said, either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. He said, victory belongs to me because of what I've already done for you. There are two answers to your prayers. They are yes and yes because victory belongs to Jesus. The same thing that was true for Paul in this prison cell when he doesn't know if they're going to come and take him away to, to execute him. And when he says it's going to turn out for his deliverance, no matter what you deal with in this life, as you seek to follow Jesus, you find strength in the fact that it will always, always, always turn out for your deliverance. It will turn out for your salvation because victory belongs to him in any situation you find yourself in. Victory belongs to him. He turns lead into gold. This is who he is. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. The sister of Lazarus, she, she, she came to him and she said, I know he'll be raised on the last day. 
talking about her brother who had died. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the undoing of the curse of sin. I am the, the, the making of what was dead now being able to live. I am the turning of lead into gold. This is who our God is. And you need to have faith and confidence in him. If we're going to endure the pain and difficulty in this life, you need to remember the blessings that you have in Christ. If you're going to give him all that he asks, you need to remember all that he offers you, that he offers you life, that he offers you purpose, and that he is the one that turns lead into gold. This is one of the most incredible blessings that we have in Christ that we can claim, that we can cling to in times of difficulty and suffering. And some of us are in the middle of times of difficulty and suffering right now. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I do know, that if you're in Christ one day, I don't know if it's in this life or the next, you'll see that it's all birth pain, that it'll all be eclipsed by joy because we serve a God who can turn lead into gold. Family, will you pray with me today?